the word that I keep coming back to is uplifting. I have this conviction based on my lived experience that uplifting people or the planet doesn't have to be draining. It can actually feel uplifting to the person who's making that impact. Welcome to another episode of Uplifting Conversations. I am delighted uh, to be joined by two of my genuine uh, favorite Black women in the venture space, women in the venture space, people in the venture space, uh, Lakeisha Landrum-Pierre, Sydney Page Thomas. Uh, Lakeisha joins us for, with Emmeline Ventures, uh, Sydney with Symphonic Capital, um, both just doing amazing things. And I'll let them share with you um, exactly how they are uplifting venture, uplifting others um, from their corners of the world. Uh, but I'm sure you will be as uh, grateful as me at the, at the end of this conversation as we walk through their journeys and, and hear a little bit about their work. Um, Lakeisha, why don't we start uh, with you? Tell people all about Emmeline Ventures, uh, a little bit about yourself uh, and, and share your work, yeah. Happy to do it. Before I do that, I have to send it right back to you because you know, Toussaint, that you are absolutely one of the, one of the folks in the space that I deeply, deeply respect and admire because of the authenticity that's you anchor everything you do with such incredible authenticity. So the opportunity to be on this podcast, having this conversation in this room uh, is very special to me. Uh, so yes, I'll talk a little bit about my, my and also to be doing this with my my sister, Sydney. Um, and, oh, and to Mary, sorry. I, like, and, and my sister, um, actually, so to Mary, have, my sister before I met you. I, I know. That's right. But, we've, we've, we've been sisters since, is this 05 to Mary? Yeah, at least earlier than that. We went to undergrad together. So I, I graduated 07. So yeah. it was like 03. So we we're 03 to 07. Yes. So and Tamiri is always behind the scenes for those who have joined us for other podcasts. But today we have Tamiri, uh, you know, important member of our team, also entrepreneur in our own right, joining us for this conversation that is uniquely connected to her. And so, yes, sorry to interrupt, Lakeisha. No, that's OK. I appreciate you because the my true OG friend here in this room is Tamiri. <laughs> I appreciate it. And then really my journey, um, what I loved about what you kind of asked and setting us up for this conversation um, is like, what was that pain point that tells my story as to why Emmeline? Mm -hmm. And so I, um, in partnership with Omoyele Shorore, built, grew, and scaled one of uh, West Africa's, arguably Africa's uh, largest digital media companies, right? It was a digital media startup, Sahara Reporters Media Group. Uh, and it was the sort of first civic media platform of its kind. And so it had venture backing for a Nigerian company when Africa was an overlooked market. And grew the, grew the company to 50 million monthlies and raised millions of dollars in funding. But in that journey of raising for this startup, the questions, y'all, that I would have to field that had nothing to do with my ability to build a company, nothing to do with how I intended to scale this business. Um, often I would leave these, these pitch calls and think to myself, do I even really belong here? Is my idea, is this even, is this even a good idea? Questions that... I have since proven are inaccurate, but then why even have to like go through that every single time? And I said, you know, I want to be in that seat. And when I'm in that seat, female founders are going to have a very, very different experience. It will be mm. empowered. If they have a solid business idea, we're going to lean into the business. I'm going to actually roll up my sleeves and help them build that business rather than try to like sow doubt. Uh, and so that really leads us to the sort of, that really leads us to the, the Emmeline why. That's incredible. I, I, I talked to a young brother yesterday 
who we are uh, potentially recruiting to come on as a fellow team uh, investing team member. He is where he worked this summer for the first time uh, for a black man or woman ever in his career. And he talked about what it felt like to not have the presumption of distrust, like, wow. like just just to the presumption that his work wasn't of quality or wasn't sufficient and then have to rebut that presumption and then get to talk about his work. And so, yes, like to be able to offer a presumption of trust to anyone, whether that's entrepreneurs or whatever. Yeah, it just feels good. That presumption of trust. I love that. And like, we don't quite understand that it's a burden that, that we carry. We're not always aware of it. Right. And so I just, I said, I want to be in that seat and I actually want to, to empower like the next wave of, for, for me, it was really female founders because I didn't see very many of myself out here building these kinds of companies. My focus really was on the continent and I just didn't see a lot of peers and uh, female peers. And I said, I, I also understand why. I always remember one of our uh, investors said uh, to, to Shuori, uh, who, who brought me on to help build Sahara with him, uh, I, I don't think she's your person, right? For no other reason, for no, for no good reason. I said, I'm, I'm going to prove that point wrong. And, and, and quite frankly, I'm going to make sure that other female founders don't have to deal with that. So that then like insert Emmeline, but before it was Emmeline, uh, it was NLA venture. So, and so Nassim, Lakeisha and, and Azim, uh, myself and my two partners, uh, we just, we were like, we're just going to invest in female founders, Toussaint. So we started our own fund. We didn't go raise money from anyone. We just used our own capital and we invested in 15, 14 companies because Azim will correct me, 14 companies, um, all female founders, all building incredible businesses with women in mind. And every single time we would get on a Zoom, folks would say, wait, 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 wait are y'all the investment team? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Uh, and they're like, well, what does it take to get you on our cap table? We're like, but whoa, 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 we haven't met. And they're like, no, that doesn't matter. Like, we don't see folks like you writing the checks. So one of the one of our thoughts about what we name our fund was first call capital because when we would actually invest, they'd call us first and say, Hey, okay, here's what's really going on. We can't actually tell the other VCs this, but if you can actually help us navigate this, then we don't even have to talk about this issue with our other investors. And so we thought about first call capital as a name because that kept happening over and over and over again. And we said, so such that we don't exhaust all of our capital, we really should make this into something. And that's what that's what became Emily Ventures. Ooh. And so Emmeline Ventures is an early stage VC fund uh, that invests in game-changing female founders, building companies that help women in particular build her wealth, manage her health, and live in a cleaner, safer world. There's an entire business case for this. And a huge why for it, but I'm gonna pass it to my sister Sydney for her and for her to do her intro. <laughs> I'm I'm restraining myself so we could get through this podcast. Got so much to say. I know, uh, I know. We always do though, Tucson. We always do. Yes, yes. And I I I know uh Sydney's story uh to some extent. Uh and so I'm excited, Sydney, to have you share your work with our audience and, and sort of uh who you are and how that came to be. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And I really like the name First Call Capital, Lakeisha. You guys had a good name. And so that's amazing to have two good names to find. Um, my background is I started in pre-seed in about 2016. And the way I like to describe that time was it was pre-seed before pre-seed really existed. We spent a lot of time at the fund that I used to work for uh, informing LPs about the importance of pre-seed as an asset class. And so I was able to build, invest, and operate in this space for the past seven years. And 
learned a lot. So my thesis is around starting Symphonic Capital is really based off of how do you build and invest in pre-seed when there's not a hype cycle? I think that there, the past seven years, we had this extreme amount of wealth poured into companies. We had a stream amount of wealth poured into venture firms. We just saw just everything up and to the right, up and to the right. And what we've seen over the last couple of months is that, you know, up and to the right is not a permanent uh place for this ecosystem to be. There's going to be down rounds sometimes. There's going to be company shutdowns. There's going to be corrections, which I think is healthy to the ecosystem. But then also, how do you build in a place and a firm in a ecosystem where you're focused more on not that hype cycle and actually on sustainability? And so, so much of Symphonic Capital is investing in companies from day one with a really grounded perspective around what does it take to build a company, whether or not Sequoia is writing checks, whether or not General Catalyst wants to give you a $100 million valuation, it doesn't matter. If your company is building and creating value, then it deserves to exist. And so what we're looking at is how do we find those companies, underwrite those companies and support those companies from day one. Um, and I'd say, why now, why me? I think that what I saw over the last couple of years were, um, I was just frustrated y'all. Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> I was just like, there's a lot of people who are talking the talk, but they have not walked one bit of any walk. And I have seen uh, now 500 some odd financings have seen a fund grow from a few million to a few hundred million. I actually know how to do this. And so I'm going to stop talking myself out of out of this work and actually do the work. And so that was how I decided to launch Symphonic Capital and got to get connected to amazing folks like Lakeisha and Tucson and now to Mary. And I'm just really grateful to have found my tribe along the way. Uh, Sydney, I, I'll, I'll uh, just kind of keep going with you for one second. Like, how is your um, your lived experience in general, and and kind of your so so I know uh, kind of San Diego's in your background, and you have parents from from other places in the country, and kind of a unique story about um, uh, you know how health connects to both firm and, and your upbringing, like how's your lived experience reflected in investment thesis and, and what Symphonic is about? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the thesis is deeply personal. And so I focus on closing access gaps around health and wealth for overlooked populations, um, really because of those are the two pillars of my parents. I grew up watching my dad, who's now a retired kidney doctor, but was actually the first black uh, chief of staff at Mercy Hospital in San Diego in dialysis clinics with a whole bunch of black and brown folk connected to these machines for hours and hours on end. And it just made me sad. It didn't make any sense to me. And so that was a little nugget that I tucked into the back of my head. And then my mom's side, she's one of 12 from West Virginia. And so we spent our summers in West Virginia hanging out with our uncles, aunties, cousins. It was just chaos, guys. It was chaos. <laughs> but I got to see, get exposed to a whole bunch of different um, lives that I could have lived. And 
they were very different from the life that I had the privilege of getting access to in San Diego. And so that wealth inequality, I was also exposed to that from a very young age. And so spent a lot of my career focused on how do I address both of these issues. I started out in government working for Congressman Barbara Lee and also Mayor Bloomberg, and then transitioned that work into the private sector where I saw a huge impact on, on having a say and a uh, point of view on what the future looks like, particularly for these overlooked communities. Hmm. Uh, Lakeisha, I am fortunate enough to uh, know not only you, but also your co-GPs as well. Um, and like three um, in their own right bosses, right? Like, like to me, I, I, as I think about that term and as I describe that term, talk about what it's like to come together uh, with these kind of two different super minds, well-accomplished individuals, and how that dynamic uh, between the three of you makes you collectively uh, better investors and, and kind of what you guys brought with, with you um, into Emily. Yeah, I love that question. They are absolutely super minds and they're absolutely dynamic. And um, us working together as a trio, I often like to say is our secret sauce. Um, so, so much of what you try to do in the world, you just ask yourself a question, think you can Google it. And then for me, I just never get the answers I'm looking for. So I'm like, tell me about women led funds are led by women of color. Bam, nothing. Right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, let me just build my own database. So I decided to build my own database. And then I came across like the, the female founders fund, obviously fearless fund, um, and a couple other funds that are that are uh, have co-GP teams of women of color exclusively. Uh, and I came up with five total. And, and what I think is interesting about that is we're one of the few co-GP teams that are led by women of color. And the reason I think that's important, it actually goes back to your point, Sydney, where you talk about investing in health and wealth. Um, what we have found is the reason our founders, because we're looking, we're investing particularly in women, uh, we have found that our founders, particularly women of color, are, um, it, it actually alludes to what I said earlier, Toussaint, it, it makes us better investors because our founders actually share with us what's going on with their companies. And we take pride in the fact that all 21 of our portfolio companies are thriving in a season where we're hearing it's a VC winner, it's an economic downturn, even though it's not technically a recession. We know that a lot of founders are struggling. So we take very, very real pride in the fact that our founders are still thriving and the fact that our founders are still out doing the work that they're doing and building the companies that they're doing at a time where you're hearing about companies folding because it's hard to raise a bridge. It's hard to raise a bridge round. It's hard, you know, they're needing to raise capital and it's very hard to do. Well, our founders, as research shows, women are the uh, capital efficient because we have to be. We're not out, we're not in the positions of, of the Newmans of the world where we just get hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So it's very clear that, hey, if I raise this 2 million, I need to make sure that this actually carries me out for 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 18 months for the very purposes that I said that I was you know, going to use the capital for. And so to me, when it, you talk about like, why are we better investors? It really shows up in the fact that our, that our founders trust us. They actually do come to us first and we're able to actually roll up our sleeves and support them. And there was a founder who actually did have a challenge and didn't share it with us and, and we called because we had heard through 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 another founder. We're like, we're that we're you can call us and we will roll up our sleeves with you. It is okay 
uh, and like and talk to our other founders because that is we are we are not only a safe space where you can um kind of you know be your authentic self but also like you can have your authentic challenges being a founder we've been there i've been there i know what it's like to wonder how you're going to hit payroll and need to manifest a miracle to cut to pay like your team of 50 or okay. not yourself you know like I know that I, and I, and I've done it and we've done it. So I think that's, that's a big piece of how I think it makes us better investors. But I think the other piece too, um, uh, to songs, what we call our cultural, cultural competency, our cultural, uh, currency is that that's actually how we relate to our founders. And we, sh- and we believe that that shows up and the reason that all our founders are thriving today. Hmm. Um, we, we call it, um, we talked about it on this pod before, and I, I talk about every chance I get, but inclusion alpha, yeah. uh, th- this whole, I, you see things differently and your eyes are trained to see a different set of opportunities, a different set of challenges, and you are seen differently. Um, you're received differently. You walk in rooms as if you have the courage to walk in a room as yourself, you have something to offer as yourself. Your founder sense that your LP sense that. And, and that's something it, it, with our collective 1.4% <laughs> um, that we talk about all the time. All there's the not time. many like you, right? Like that we talk about probably too much. There's not many like you. Um, and so, I, yeah. Can I comment on that? Because Come I on. feel like stronger. <laughs> so to everyone listening to this podcast, right? Yes, we know that we are undercapitalized. We know that. But the reason that there are Sydney Page Thomases in this world Lakeisha Landrum peers in this world is to actually move the needle. And, and um, I have a particular passion for moving the narrative forward. And let me tell you why, Tucson. I, I come from the world. I built a digital media company that reached millions of people. I know the power of storytelling. We would write a story and a person would have to step down from office. I know the power of storytelling and narratives. So if we continue to tell this narrative, right? If we continue to tell this narrative of us being undercapitalized, is that incentivizing that entrepreneur with a great idea to come try this out? It, it, is that incentivizing an entrepreneur who has not been an entrepreneur to come and build a company and build? There's something that we might be missing out because we continue to tell the story yep. of being undercapitalized. Can we tell the story about how Sydney is out here investing in these early stage founders? Can we tell the story about how, like, those are the stories. And you're doing it. You're doing the work. But I, I want to call this out for, for those of us who do continue to cite these stats. What I, hear, what, I, what I hear from you is we need to have a more uplifting conversation. We need to have a more uplifting <laughs> and And point to the fact that we are the change. Let us, give us a minute. We'll look at these stats. They're going to look different. Come on. They're going to look different. Sydney, talk to me. Like, give, give me an uplifting conversation. <laughs> it has given you joy as you've stepped into this work. We we talk all the time. We know them. We hear them. And it's important to talk about them. What is giving you joy right now in rolling up your sleeves and doing this work? Oh, man. Well, I love but the, let me just like back up a little bit because yep. I think one of the things that like Keisha said and one of the beautiful things about what she's building at her firm, I think this this abundance mindset is necessary in order to build a, a partnership where there is intentionally shared power. And I think that is a also a very, frankly, feminine trait to be able to identify where you need help where someone else can actually give you added leverage, where you actually need that support and this knowledge that it's not a zero sum game. And I think exactly to that type of, that type of framework is, is, is the future. 
So mm -hmm. that's what gives me joy is conversations like this where we talk about this, like it's not where what we're creating is I think so additive and so huge that it's kind of impossible not to get excited about going to work every day. Um, I'm I'm really grateful about this stuff. I think one question you said earlier also Tucson, and maybe it was to Mary around like, where am I getting my, where am I feeling very well resourced and how am I thinking about like pouring back into myself and uplifting myself as I do this work that is very challenging. Is that like one thing that I identified this time last year, um, it's fall equinox as Tamari probably knows. It's the first day of Libra season. And so the seasons are changing. And so this is top of mind is that I was, I was exhausted. This time last year, I was so, so overwhelmed. I was so exhausted that I realized I needed help. And so the first thing that I did was humble myself and ask for it. And I actually moved back home. And so I have left the Bay. Um, I'm, here all the, I'm here all the time. I'm literally taking this call from Oakland. So I take that Southwest flight a lot, but I live in San Diego with my parents. And it has been the most beautiful gift that I have given to myself in identifying that I needed their help in pouring into me, like feeding me, like loving on me as I'm building something that is deeply, not just personal for me, but also personal for them. And so I think there's that type of resource that I think people of color, we have. I think like, and we have it in a way that is so unique that unfortunately a lot of white people just don't have it. And it's really sad, honestly. But I think that that is a huge value of our community that I don't think we talk enough about is the power of our community and what it actually looks like to acknowledge that power and what you can do when you acknowledge that power. I feel just so grateful. And so, um, that's yeah, I, go go ahead, Lakeisha. Yeah, you've hit on something so important, Sydney, and I would like to echo it to everyone listening today, which is that there's power in our community, and so many of us have this community, and we don't actually activate it. So, Sydney, you would be surprised to know, um, but our mutual friend Shannon Nelson knows, and Ty knows well. I have the infrastructure of my parents in my home. And I would not be able to have the, what I often call care infrastructure, resource infrastructure, um, emotional, mental infrastructure that I have without, the, we, I, mean, I literally, I joke, I live in a village. When people come over, they come and they're like, oh, for like, I'm, yeah, but you're literally coming to the village. Yes, we have <laughs> a lot of rooms. There's, there's a lot of space and there's a village here. And that is why I'm able to do what I do and have the resources that I have to be rooted in the way that I am for my kids to be able to thrive. There's a village in this home and we have this community that is so unique mm -hmm. that most of us aren't tapping into. So the fact that you are living with that infrastructure of your parents and I'm doing the same thing. And also, you know, we, we are literally like very deep in this home, uh, but very intentionally. So like we could be elsewhere, but we're very intentional about it because it makes what we're all doing very possible and and deepens the richness of of how we move in the world and and with each other oh and there's a there's a beauty in um i think 
first of all, a lot of us, when I, I think about um, professional privilege, uh, to, we're like first generation, a lot of us, right? Like we just got here and we are just now on the precipice of learning how to take that same village mentality and build it around um, the opportunities that we have in our corners of the world, um, the privileges that we have in our corners of the world. And so like, I think uh, we're unwinding some of this kind of uh, put your arms around your plate mentality that happens when we're excluded and told that there's space for one and not the other. And so like we're unwinding some zero sum game mentality that was not naturally ours, um, but it is beautiful to watch what both of you are doing for your own self-care and your own villages in the home now start to show itself in our professional entrepreneurial investor communities. Um, and, you know, I, I see the ethos uh, is evolving and it's beautiful. I do have a question regarding that because obviously there's a lot of entrepreneurs that need help. And I think one of the main excuses that I've heard from people that are not, you know, from the underrepresented communities is that they can't find these entrepreneurs or they don't have access. Obviously, you all have more access because you're a part of the community, but what do you do in the event where you have to turn people away or you're not able to help them um, or maybe they're not there yet? Um, how are you providing support outside of you know, funding an entrepreneur's uh, business? It's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that I take really, really um, personally is providing real candid feedback. And so one of the things that we do at the end of every, when we say no to any single company is we we tell you the real past reasons. We will list out at least three, oftentimes, reasons why we're passing on your company. And I've gotten feedback from founders who shared with me that that past feedback enabled them to think about their company in a different way that unlocked some different insight that led them to build something different or the same company, but with a different lens. And so I think that what I try to do is take, pass on some of the wisdom that I've gained by being in this industry for a minute now to founders who might not have that um, perspective on uh, what they're building. So plus one to all that, Sydney. Um, I think particularly when we're working with underrepresented founders, they just hear no so much. Um, we really try not to say no, um, but really just, you know, and then so that that's part of it and really say, okay, even if this may not be a good fit, um, we are such big ecosystems. I'd say this both about Sydney and myself such that we can plug you in somewhere. So if there, if the need is like, hey, this actually isn't really a thesis fit, but I can tell you about this, this VC, this VC, and this VC, that's a good fit. And then making the introduction, which is kind of half the value because our folks are so busy. If it's like, okay, well, look, Lakeisha introduced me. I kind of have to respond, I even have a, a dear friend who just sent a text. I see all your founders just reached out, but I have to respond because, you know, like you, <laughs> so when you make those intros, I think that's actually really helpful when, when you say, okay, this may not be a fit, but let me point you here and actually do the pointing and do the connecting. Um, that's something very, very big that we do. And then to Sydney's point also, I think when you say like, it's not a good fit or it's not a good thesis fit, or if you look, if you're looking the hood and really trying to understand the business, uh, of what a founder is building and, and see, you know, 
call it, you know, flags of perhaps reasons why your firm can't, can't proceed. Like you ought to really pass that knowledge onto the founder. Um, because in my view, like so many of our founders don't have that network to really say, okay, well, I call my uncle and he really put me there. You know, that, that doesn't exist. So we are also that, like, we, uh, when I talked earlier about the name of our firm, like we were thinking like our, you know, many ways we're friends and family to our founders also. So we really do take that seriously, even if we're not investing to say, we're going to talk to you and share this with you in a way that I think other firms wouldn't, because this is what's going to help you on your journey. What 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 gave each of you hope that um, by endeavoring to pr- solve um, the problem set that you've jumped into, that the change that you're hoping to make would result? So, like I guess in Sydney, people would be healthier and wealthier on the other side of you starting this firm. Makisha, women would be in a more sustainable, more wealthy, and in a more healthy state. On, on you guys coming, to, like what? What gave you guys that hope? Because the odds are against you. Oh man, um, there's such a good quote at this point. I don't remember who said it, and so I'm gonna have to find it afterward and send it to you guys. But essentially, it's like it's something like to be a Black woman in America means that you have to believe that the world can change every day and act as if that is true. Like there is actually like a hopefulness that I think, you know, if you want to get really real back to it, is like that our ancestor, ancestors had to have to have us at all. 100%. And so I think there is this like there is this hope that is embodied in our soul in our nature in our I think way of being that is just like back to what you're saying about this like zero-sum game feeling very unnatural I think any world in which I am not hopeful feels very unnatural like hope actually feels like a very natural way of being for me that I don't really have to try I just have to stop listening to you know the people who aren't hopeful and there's a lot of them, <laughs> but I think it really is. It's like making sure that I'm surrounding myself with those folks who are seeing the vision that I'm seeing and just like hunkering down and running together. Hmm. What if I said I have nothing to add? <laughs> That's a mic drop. We're truly, Sydney, we had like our ancestors had to be hopeful right? Even though they did not see the future that we are currently living, that was lit, that, that was blazed, nurtured for us, they didn't see it, but they had to have hope that it was possible to build towards it, even if they may not actually experience it. So like, we, we already have um, the reference point of our ancestors who believe in a future they never, ever, ever saw realized that we are seeing, that we are, that is realized today. That actual statement that, you know, when, when you often hear folks say, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams, like they literally could not have imagined what this conversation we're having, right, Toussaint? You're running a fund of fund. We have two Black female GPs, right, deploying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into the hands of founders. Like it's, we're, that, that was, can't even, let alone our ancestors, my parents, right? Like, <laughs> You know, the, my my living really? uh, me. <laughs> I never right, saw it right coming. Right. So I think that is a reason to be hopeful. We have the reasons right before our eyes. And that's why, to Sydney's point, you have to be 
hopeful and disciplined about the energy that you allow around you because we already have reasons to be hopeful. We've already seen what has been accomplished with hope. You know, we already know what is possible. So we can't allow that sort of, you know, a, a common word, use that toxicity or or perspective because it's not helpful. We know that this can, the needle can change, right? But we have to be really focused on it. I am overwhelmed with uh, gratitude for uh, the courage uh, that each of you has displayed in um, starting uh, where you started and and staying staying this course for for as long as you have uh, is like just such an honor. Uh, I would like to see more of you. Uh, so let's let's just briefly uh, kind of talk about um, what that what that blueprint was. And so I I think I, I talk a fair amount about um, a stretching mentality versus a chasing mentality. Um, and when you're trying to solve hard problems, um, and that has to do with how we relate to the resources uh, available to us, um, stretching the resources that are in front of us instead of feeling the need to chase for new resources before you started that problem. How did you, um, the two of you, think about um, like taking inventory of the resources uh, or networks or opportunities that you had around you? Um, and then activating those to start your firms and to continue to do the work that you're doing. Like, how, how are you thinking about um, just from where you are moving? It's such a good question. And back to what you were saying immediately about us having this courage and you wanting to see more of us. I think you see more of us when you honor the fact that what we are doing is a courageous act. And I think that there's a, not enough people who have that word choice. I think that when you talk about, uh, you know, just some white guy who was at Andreessen for two years and then he leaves and starts his own, own fund, like how brave is he? How courageous is he? How amazing? And then you see one of us black women starting our from, are they sure they can do it? Like, have they, have they, have they actually done enough learning? Um, this doesn't seem like a very, you know, womanly thing to do. Like, I just have heard it all, like all of it. And I think that there is this language that we need to be very cognizant of to continue to encourage women like me and Lakeisha to keep doing this thing. And so just wanted to say applauding you for using that word choice. Cause that's actually, that's, those are the words I use for myself. I think I, I agree. <laughs> that is all that applies. <laughs> like, anything else is invalid. Like it is an act of extreme courage. Uh, yeah. Lakeisha, how did you think about, like, like, how did you think about like strategically looking around and going, oh, I have what I need and here's how I'm going to activate it? You know, it's such a great question, Toussaint. I think if I could just sit on, before I answer your question, I want to hit on this point about courage um, and the importance of narratives and language. It's part of like what we were talking about earlier. And I appreciate you using language that is uplifting. That's why we're here today. Uh, because we need that kind of language to encourage more of us to come into the space. We need platforms like yours actually saying, oh, wait, we exist and there are ways to come into the space. And they, you know, they, these you know, GPs were really thoughtful and strategic about what they had built to this point and, and leverage it to get here. Huh, We need, I want to hear that because then maybe that maybe I do have a network or 
a set of experiences that, that the market could find interesting and helpful to founders. Um, and so I think for me, in terms of leveraging, uh, I'd say I first leverage kind of my experience, Toussaint. So again and again, as a person building a business and needing to raise capital for that business and looking at the folks that I needed to raise capital from and telling stories about the importance of, of, of media and, and digital media on the continent, I noticed that there was a need for people like me who could understand what these folks were building. I had peers who were also, um, I'm not going to say like, like beating a wall, but it's like, we needed more people who understood what we were building. So I think um, one of the first kind of resources was saying, hey, given what I've just built, there are there are a lot of people that could benefit from these learnings. I actually want to lean in and support what I call the, the next wave of builders who are building, whether it's social enterprise, big, like have big, large, large visions for how what they're building can shape culture, can shape communities, can shape truly nations. I mean, like real talk, right? We've impacted elections. Like there's, there's such big, big impact that we've had. I said, there's another wave of folks who are doing this, but I'd rather them I, I saw my my experience as actually that first resource that I wanted to scale um, and 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 was often thinking about how I could do that while I was at Sahara. I was often thinking about how can I how can I support other founders? And then the other piece is like my I began to realize, um, which I actually think this is not only my realization that there are a number of us, us on this call, there are a number of folks of color who have done really incredible things and really great positions at really great firms, whether it's Goldman or BlackRock or Ford or MacArthur or Omidyar or, or and, 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 and folks of color in these seats, I knew a good number of them. And I'm like, you know what? There's a way to really activate this wave, right? We talk about how we are our parents' wildest dreams in many in some cases, you know, how can, how can I actually activate these folks around me who are accredited investors and may not even realize it, who want access to, to venture deals or to and, and to be angels, but literally do not have an entree point, like do not have a family member or someplace to go to to get access. How can I, how can I actually begin to 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 leverage and like activate that network? And then it became, I think, someone who we all know whose name I'm blinking actually shared that they just had call after call after call with their friends. Uh, and and then friends of friends and began to build around that as a starting point, like leveraging the relationships that that existed around them to begin to 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 build a network of support for this initiative. Um, I hope that helps. Yeah, no. The experience, the village, I, I love it. And village, uh, the village, uh, like in in terms of, and I guess I'll, I'll ask you, Sydney, in terms of somebody stepping out and like that you're a solo GP now, but you've also transitioned from the public sector to the private sector. You found your way into venture with a lot of intention and a lot of, I think, uh, cold outreach. Like, uh, So what is a, a micro act that somebody can take right now to find their way to uplifting the things that you're uplifting or to find their way into venture if they come from a non-traditional background? Like, where would you start? I think it's a great question. And I would tie it actually back to the resourcing question in that I think people have a 
vested interest in trying to make it seem like these different industries are much more different than they actually are from each other. And one of the things that I like to say often is that when I was in philanthropy, I was calling the same people who I'm calling now for money, it's the same people. And so I was calling the Walton Family Foundation for capital when I was working in education, and they also invest in venture capital. I was calling the Gates Foundation when I was in education, and Melinda also invests in venture capital. And so there's actually a through line almost always between what you're doing now and what you want to do. And so figure that out, like just study it, because I think the more you study it, the more you'll unearth the similarities more than the differences. And oftentimes what it comes down to is language. There's a different word that maybe VCs are using that you might be, and you might be using a different word to say the exact same thing at your nonprofit, in your city government job, in your, um, you know, career more broadly that you don't even know. And so a lot of it is just talking to people about what actually you want to do and then learning how to translate what you are doing now into the words that you need to use in order to tell the story of what you want to do in the future. Mm. Yeah, it, it, yeah, there are more similarities than differences for sure. I, I'm, I'm a jagged path person from all sorts of stuff. And so I, I, I'm a believer. So I, as we come to a close, I will ask you guys what we ask uh, many of our guests, uh, which is, uh, what does uplifting mean to you? Uplifting means to me precisely what you're doing, Tucson. Mm -hmm. This moment is uplifting. This moment, this conversation is uplifting. It's creating spaces, platforms, and conversations to remind ourselves of our why and to inspire us to keep going that's right that's what uplifting means to me what uplifting also means to me is um is sitting in the right mindset and it'd be like what you said sydney uplifting means to sit in an abundance and uplifting mindset regardless of the narratives that are trying to uh penetrate that that uplifting and 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 like forward thinking mindset i love that i think uplifting means to me I'm just gonna come out as a Jack and Jill kid. I'm sorry to anybody who's listening who is very not a fan, I'm not a fan of Jack and Jill. Growing up in San Diego where there was, we were 2% of the population, that was my lifeline. <laughs> and so, you know, that was the whole Jack and Jill, um, you know, um, narratives like lift as we climb. That was on every single, I'd say t-shirt every year of that organization. And that is just something that has been instilled in me since I can remember is that there's this, there's this sense of duty that I have to actually be a part of that journey, not just for myself, but for the broader community. And so that lifting is, is, is how you get it done. Mm. Well, you, Sydney, you, Lakeisha, you, Tamari, <laughs> are all uplifting to me. Uh, I, am, I am grateful for your time and for your wisdom and for your presence and for your courage. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for taking a few moments here to share. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and click the notification button so you never miss an episode.